please turn with me to the book of Matthew. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, um, verse 21. We'll, we'll actually pick up uh, in verse 20 and continue into almost all of 17. Um, it's my hope that we can see uh, something amazing that God reveals to us in his word here uh, about Jesus and his mission, about the kingdom of God, and about um, who Jesus is. And so uh, Matthew chapter 16 will be in verse uh, 20 to, to 17, verse 23. Um, and I'll kind of read it at two parts um, here. Matthew 16, verse 20. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But you, but he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And we'll pick up with the second half uh, in just a moment here. So we've been in the book of Matthew all year, really, um, and the Matthew's gospel uh, is history. Um, Matthew's a historian, if you will, but he's more than that. Um, he doesn't recount every single event of Jesus' life. In fact, uh, most of the gospel is focused on one week, one week of Jesus' life, the Passion Week. But here we are at this passage, and we heard last week Peter's confession uh, of who uh, Jesus asked his disciples in private in this uh, Gentile region. Who do, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And then there are many ideas of who Jesus is, and that's true today. Uh, ask any belief system, and they'll have some reply for who Jesus is. Uh, some, even world religions, have a lot of respect for Jesus. But is it a true understanding? Only through the scriptures, only from the Father, uh, do we truly understand who Jesus is. And Jesus um, explained that to Peter here last week. And so, uh, a surprising question in the midst of Matthew's gospel 
Um, it's not just history, though. Matthew has uh, historically been known more uh, as an evangelist. He want, he's one who wants to proclaim good news. Um, and he wants us to see and understand the gospel and see how Jesus fulfills uh, the Old Testament scripture. And, 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 uh, and he's the fulfillment of, of everything. Everything's pointing to him. And so we see here uh, that the gospel of Matthew is not just history, but it's more like a manual, a discipleship manual. And that's how the early church uh, used uh, and read the, the, the gospel of Matthew. They would study the teachings of Jesus and, and see these narrative accounts and seek to implement them into their lives and apply them to their lives. And so it's my prayer that as we spend time in God's word here, in this part of the Bible, uh, that it would uh, be appropriated into our hearts and our lives, uh, that we would repent, live lives of repentance and faith. So the question that naturally arises, uh, Peter um, says, you are the Christ, you are the Christ. And, and, and surprise, he got it right. <laughs> um, Yes, that's correct. And Jesus affirms him. And Jesus speaks about how Jesus will build his church and the gates of hell will not turn it. Stop, stop it. Um, the proclamation of the gospel is the key into the kingdom. And how people respond to the good news about Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, is uh, life and death, uh, eternal destinies weigh in the balance of how we, we answer this question. Who do you say that I am? And so Peter got the right answer, and I imagine that he feels good about himself. Um, but Jesus says in verse 20, don't tell anyone. And the natural question that arises is, why would Jesus say, well, well you, yes, that's who I am, but don't tell anyone. Why keep it a secret? And um, we can see here in the next passage why Jesus would say that to Peter. Uh, why keep it a secret? Um, there are a lot of surprises when we read the Bible. Uh, and, and I don't know, I was trying to think about a time in my life when I was really surprised and my memory fails me on Thursday nights or Friday mornings. Um, but I, I remembered one story. Uh, many years ago, I was a young man. I went to a church visiting a new church. I was looking for a new church in, in uh, the U.S. at the time. I went there and I heard there was a Bible study. And I thought, that's a great way to meet people. I want to study God's word. So I signed up for the Bible study. It was called Perspectives. I didn't know anything about it. Uh, so I said, it sounds like it's Bible-based. Uh, I'll go to this Bible study and find out. And about midweek, midweek, in my mind, I had this flashing thought. Oh, no. What if it's a Bible study of all women and they're all old ladies? Well, uh... And that, 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 that thought kind of lingered with me. And I was hoping not to be surprised with that thought. But it turned out that uh, I went and showed up. And there were about 40, 50 women uh, from the community, different churches. They weren't all old ladies. They were some young ladies too. But there was all these women at the Bible study in Abiel. And I think there was one other guy. And... Uh, I felt really awkward. I, I got there probably a little bit early, sat up front, so I couldn't see everyone behind me. Uh, but they were actually studying the, the Gospel of Matthew. <laughs> and it was, uh, it, it turns out, yeah, it's a, like a, 
a great study. Probably, maybe some of you have, have done it before. Uh, there's a daily Bible study, and then you meet once a week, and there's like uh, video discussion and such. So I won't tell you how, <laughs> how I re- responded to that or, you know, that surprise, but it was truly a surprise. Um, okay, I'll tell you. I ended up sticking it out. Uh, I did the, the personal Bible study during the week, and then I would come, and the ladies were in the back behind me. Um, so I went to an all-women's Bible study. Um, but surprises, they're all over the Bible, and we should be asking that question when we read the scriptures. What is surprising about this passage? And one thing that's really surprising that I think we notice or we're reminded of when we read this passage is that Peter got an A-plus answer. Um, and uh, Jesus talked about the rock um, on which he built his church. A-plus answer, but 20 seconds later, probably 20 seconds later, he gets the rebuke, get behind me, Satan. And so for Peter, it was very easy uh, once he came to this understanding that, yes, Jesus, you are the, the Messiah, the anointed one, the king. But when Jesus immediately said, don't tell anyone. And the reason for that was Peter didn't understand what that meant. He got the right answer, but he didn't know. I don't know if you've when you were in, in grammar school or elementary school, you just filled in the bubbles and you got the right answers and you were surprised, but maybe you didn't know what they meant. Well, Peter didn't understand and Jesus clarified his faulty understanding. And he very clearly and explicitly says in verse 21, I will suffer, I will be killed, and then I will be raised. Well, Peter does something that's completely uncharacteristic of a teacher. Um, I imagine like a uh, four-year-old student going up to the, the kindergarten teacher and correcting the teacher. Here, Peter, the student, comes to his master and says, far be it from you, Lord. This literally can be translated, may God be merciful to you, Lord. So Peter has this rebuke for Jesus, a, a correction for Jesus, and It's one for God to be merciful to him. So he goes from A plus to getting a D, a D in the class. And the D is not for, you know, the D stands for devil. Um, Jesus actually says, get behind me, Satan. Now, Peter wasn't Satan himself, but Satan was working through Peter to tempt Jesus. And it's the same temptation as in, in in the wilderness in Matthew 4. Uh, avoid the cross and have the crown now. And so uh, a a title for my sermon is cross before crown, suffering to glory. Or or the big concept is the pattern of the kingdom, the pattern of the kingdom. So um, uh, the apostle Paul seems to be reflecting on this exact, these exact comments in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, when he talks about Christ, he never talks about Christ apart from his work. Uh, in, when, he's, when he's explaining who Jesus is, he talks about Christ as Christ crucified. In, in uh, chapter 1, verse 22 to 24, the Apostle Paul says, For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, 
a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. We saw that last week that the Jewish leaders were seeking a sign. So it's surprising. A surprise in this passage is that Peter got Christ, uh, but not Christ crucified in just 20 seconds later or so. Now, before we're too hard on Peter, we have to remember that the prophets struggled to understand God's unfolding plan as well. And Peter would write about this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 12. The prophets were speaking, but they were also wrestling, what, what does this mean? What am I even saying? And they were carried along by the Holy Spirit as they spoke. And so a question for us today is, are you, are we struggling to understand God's unfolding plan? What is he up to in the world? How is God working in the midst of this pandemic or coronavirus? Um, I don't know uh, exactly, uh, but I do know that we will never truly understand if our mind is fixed on what, what uh, verse 23 says, on the things of man. If with our minds and our hearts on things above, Colossians 3, 1 to 4, uh, we are better able and we're in a better position to understand that God is working in his world. And he has promised, I will build my church. And so we can hold on to these promises, even in these uncertain times. Let us fix our hearts and our minds on things above, not on the things of man. A couple of practical uh, applications for us as well is we are not to, uh, called to pastor Jesus, <laughs> but to follow him. And so Peter, uh, you know, got the right answer. And then he went from uh, being star student to, in his mind, maybe uh, the, the chair of the Bible department. And he goes and he corrects Jesus on what it means to be the Messiah. And so the cross, the cross is what was offensive to Peter, and the cross is what's offensive to the world today. In our message, the message of the church is one that's really simple, uh, but it's also one that's offensive. And uh, thinking about the last 20 or 30 years of the church in the West, there's been a real softening of the gospel. There's been a real um, a sense of of, of of taking away the offense, of telling people, well, God loves you, <laughs> but skipping Romans 1, 2, and part of 3, uh, where Paul lays out before he brings the good news, he says the bad news is everyone is, is a sinner. Um, and that word, uh, sinner, is offensive. Uh, we all fall short of the glory of God. We are all in desperate need of a Savior. And so we're not called to pastor Jesus, but to follow him. And the cross is offensive. And any time uh, we come to the conclusion, and this happens every day in the news, uh, any time we come to the conclusion and we're thinking, we think that we know better than Jesus, we're not thinking correctly. But we are to follow Peter in this way. We're to follow Peter in the way that he does follow Jesus. So don't follow Peter in pastoring Jesus. But, but follow Peter in following Jesus. Another uh, practical principle for us today, and, and just hear me out on this. Uh, 
Jesus is the one who uses this strong language. Get behind me, Satan. So don't be satanic. Don't be satanic. Uh, what do I mean by that? Well, don't let the world's ways um, replace God's ways and dictate your decisions. And so a practical uh, application for us is um, if uh, you have a child who has a passion in, in, in her heart to go overseas and to serve among a dangerous region of the world and to reach a, a, a lost, um, unreached people, and you stand in the way with opposition and you say, no, you're not going there uh, to serve. I want you to stay home and, and be safe. That would be satanic uh, in the sense that safety is, is trying to live a life without cross. Now, I'm not saying be foolish. I'm not saying uh, take uncalculated risks. Um, but it is possible for us, especially in the, in the West, um, from my culture, to think that if it's not safe, then it's wrong. But um, thinking about many Christians, those who are most inspiring, um, Dilal and I have been watching a series of uh, biographies. They're, they're cartoons called Torchlighters. I don't know if you've heard of those. Um, but they're about 30 minutes, and they tell the life of someone in history who just lived, lived their faith in such a vibrant way. It's really inspiring. But safety was not their, their top priority. Um, their top priority was obedience to Christ and his kingdom, faithfulness. And so we have to be careful with that word safe. We tell our students, be safe every day. Um, but there is a certain amount of risk uh, involved in the Christian life. Um, Otherwise, we'll never be persecuted, we'll never leave our homes, we'll never be obedient in following these commands that Christ has given us. It's also, it'd also be satanic to scold your friend uh, for taking the risk, uh, perhaps doctor friend, I think of like um, the Ebola uh, virus years, a uh, few years back in West Africa, um, who says, I'm going there, and you tell her friend, don't go there, you, you could catch the virus and die. Well, Christians have been ones to take risks and go and bring life and healing into dangerous situations throughout history. And may we take calculated risks as well. So don't make safety, safety such a high place in your life that it becomes an idol. And that's something uh, for all of us to consider especially in this time of the pandemic, we've all been wrestling with that. You know, we want to be safe. We want to be loving towards our neighbor, but we also want to be faithful and continue be, being the church uh, or being our church. And so safety can be a problem in the Christian life. Um, how will we ever be courageous uh, or sacrificial if we are absolutely insist on safety? And then finally, another pra practical application um, is God is patient with Peter's. So Peter never seems to get it right <laughs> as we follow his life in the Gospels. We see him here uh, trying to pastor Jesus and rebuke Jesus. We see him in his denials. We see him even uh, after the Holy Spirit comes. And in the book of Galatians chapter 2, um, Peter 
is sitting at the table with Gentiles and some false teachers come in and go, uh, they're called Judaizers and Peter breaks table fellowship with them because he feels the social pressure. He feels, oh no, I'm sitting here and these guys are going to give me a hard time and he makes uh, a, a sinful choice as a leader um, and an apostle and the apostle Paul confronts him to his face. So, but God is patient with Peter. Um, we don't see him arriving or perfect, but we do see a steady sanctification in his life, steady becoming more like Christ, and, and a growing in grace, uh, especially when we read his second letter, Second Peter. We see an old man with his last, last words, and according to tradition, Peter was crucified upside down. Because he said, I'm not worthy uh, to be crucified in the manner of my Lord. He was faithful to the end. So um, another surprise we see in this passage, though, is the second half of what we read this morning. And that's um, take up your cross and follow Jesus. So this is the surprise. We must follow the pattern of the kingdom. There's a passion pattern. There's a cross before the crown. Crown. Um, Jesus has a cross and we have a cross. And uh, we could ask the question, well, why not your cross, Jesus, and my crown? Why do I have to have a cross? Uh, the, the scriptures, especially the New Testament letters, reflecting on the life of Jesus, continue again and again to talk about suffering with him, that we will also reign with him. 2 Timothy 2.12 also, I'm thinking of Philippians 3, where Paul says, I want to know Christ in the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Or Romans 3, talking about our union with Christ. And so Christ's character will never change uh, who he is. He is the Christ, but he's also Christ crucified. And his work will not be undone. His work is his message, and his work is played out in our lives as well. Jesus had a cross, and we have one too. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, uh, The Cost of Discipleship, said, when, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. And so Jesus uses this shocking language of self-denial in verses 24 to 28. And he says, to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me to lose your life for my sake, and you'll find it. And so, really, the sum of the Christian life or, uh, can be summed up in self-denial and following Christ. And what does our cross look like? Does it look like the death of a, lo a loved one? Does it look like a hardship, like economic hardship, or poor health, or chronic illness, or a terrible boss, or a, a work environment that is really hostile, or a harsh spouse, or a rebellious child. I think it can be all of these. Um, part of these are the way that God can work in our lives and, and make us more like Christ through these hard providences. But um, our cross can also be what the, the Gospels talk about here, like persecutions and suffering for uh, our belief and preaching and living out the Gospel. So all of these are taking up the cross. 
deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow him. And before we're believers, um, the call is to repent and believe, to come to Christ, deny ourselves and admit we're sinful. But uh, our ongoing response is one of self-denial as well. We're to live in uh, a, place, a, t- uh, a type of self-denial, not self-indulgence, not self-love, but self-denial and abide in Christ and keep his commandments. And so Matthew 25, I'm thinking about um, giving uh, food to the hungry and clothing the naked and visiting those in prison. Those are all fruits of a life uh, of self-denial and a life that is abiding in Christ. And may our lives be fruitful as well. So self is not Lord, but Jesus is Lord. And the real question for us, again, Jesus said, who do you say that I am? It's either Jesus is king or you are king or I am king. And so let us live lives where Jesus is the king. And so uh, just to finish, I want to read the the last part, um, chapter 17, and pull out a few principles that really tie in to this message of um, Matthew 16. In the original, when Matthew wrote this as an evangelist, there were no chapter headings. And so they would just keep going through. And so uh, Matthew 17, uh, verses 1 to 23. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we, we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased, so also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. And... When they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly for often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? 
And he said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, If you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. And as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. So just a a few points from this uh, passage. Uh, They're on a mountain, the highest mountain in the region, uh, almost 3,000 meters, 2,800 meters high. And the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, Peter, again, speaks, and he wants to build a tent. He wants to build a tabernacle for all three of them. There's Jesus between Moses and Elijah, um, the law and the prophets, uh, and Jesus, um, he's rebuked. <laughs> uh, he's rebuked by God the Father. Um, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And Jesus is there in Revelation 1 glory. So if, if we read Revelation chapter 1, we see Jesus with flaming eyes and just bright light. And John falls as though he's dead. And so here, um, Peter gets to see for a moment with James and John, uh, the glory and the crown of Jesus, the reign of the king, just peeled back for a second, for a moment. And he wants to put a tabernacle there. He wants to hold on to this moment. He doesn't know. He's, it's his first building project. Uh, but he's rebuked. And sometimes we can have good intentions but actually do damage. Um, Jesus' message for the world is one of death and resurrection, not just he came to conquer. So, um, and he tells them again, don't tell anyone until after the resurrection. We see this man bring in a desperate situation, and he does approach Christ appropriately, kneeling down, humble, crying out, Lord, and his, uh, his messages, have mercy, or his pleas, have mercy on my son, suffers terribly. And the problem was the disciples, nine of them failed here at this point. They had no power, no power to cast out this demon. And Jesus is upset and he offers this rebuke. And they say, why could we not cast it out? And he says, attribute it to their little faith. And so again, it's a focus uh, too much on self um, in this whole message of self-denial. Our faith is not in ourselves. Our our faith is not in I can do it. I can pull this off. And it's not in our faith. My faith's not in my faith. Our faith is in Christ. And so um, we need to continually look to Jesus. They were at the top of the mountain. We came down down the mountain. And this ends talking about the lowly hill where Jesus would die on the cross. So from a high mountain to the lowly hill. Uh, he says, the Son of Man is about to be delivered in the hands of men. They will kill him. And that's probably all they really heard, because it says they were really and greatly distressed. But he will be raised on the third day. And so to tie it all together, um, the Christian life is one. There is a crown, but it's not now. It's through the cross to the crown. It's suffering on the way to glory. 
and there's no shortcuts. And so uh, Jesus had a cross, and we do too. And may we be faithful uh, to follow the pattern of the kingdom and the pattern of the, of the king. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we come before you and thank you for your word. Uh, it is rich and deep and living and active. I pray that you would anchor us through this time. I pray that you would help us to hold on to you. Uh, help us to see, Jesus, that you are the Son of God, uh, the Savior of the world, and that your message for the world is not one of a conquering king, but one of a suffering servant uh, who is the king. You reign, uh, but we must never forget that you are Christ and Christ crucified. So please help us to be faithful to uh, proclaim this uh, offensive message in many ways. But help us not to be offensive unnecessarily, but help us to be faithful to do your will and to spread your message and your work. We are in desperate need of you in these times. Uh, I pray that you would carry us through uh, the rest of this um, virus time. Thank you that there are vaccines and some uh, relief, it seems. But I think of other countries like India that are suffering terribly right now. We pray for them. We pray for world leaders. We pray for uh, church leaders. Um, that you would give wisdom and be merciful, Lord, to us. And thank you for our brothers and sisters here that we could meet in this way today. In Jesus' name, amen.